like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker. How are you doing, Heather Shoemaker? I'm doing well. Um, I don't know when this will be aired, but we are stuck at home these days. So uh, we're getting some nice fresh air here and there. And it's also nice to have some fresh voices on the podcast. So Jeff, besides you and me, we have a guest today, um, Jamie Solomon. So hi, Jamie. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Jamie, welcome to our virtual podcast studio. Thanks we are at a safe distance. <laughs> yes, that's right. So tell us what um, what part of the world you are hailing from. So I am currently in Ferndale, Michigan. And I have been, I'm from Michigan originally, and I have been back here, living here now for, um, let's see, I think I'm coming up on four years. Prior to here, I was living in San Francisco for um for about nine years and um and that's where i was working as a lead teacher in a preschool classroom um when i wrote this story that we're going to be discussing today great yeah so um jamie's uh, one of the contributors to this book called each and every child um, it's put out by NAEYC. And we had a chance to chat with um, Alyssa Lissamwene Lupembe a couple episodes ago. So if you've been listening to that, Jamie's another one of the contributors to this book. Um, the whole topic is looking at how we can meet the needs of every kid um, with all sorts of ideas in mind. So um, tell us, are you teaching, what's your early childhood background, just in a nutshell? Yeah, so primarily I've worked as the lead teacher of a classroom. Um, I've mostly worked with four-year-old children. Um, but this, when I moved back to Michigan, I, um, I worked only briefly in a classroom, again, as a lead teacher and a, and a uh, student teacher mentor um, before I got pregnant with my um, twin boys. And so I took some time off. Um, and then when I went back, I started um, teaching uh, some graduate courses at the University of Michigan Flint um, for their master's program in ECE. I had done that, um, I had taught a semester at San Francisco State before moving home. And, um, and then when I was really back, ready to, to dive back in, um, about a year ago, I took a position as a director at a small preschool in Royal Oak, Michigan. 
and that's where I am now, um, uh, or not, <laughs> but where I hope to be again so at some point in the coming months. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, the schools are currently, as we record, closed. <laughs> right. But back when we actually interacted with children beyond our own, we wanted, I wanted to touch some of the ideas in the chapter you contributed. Um, and I'm just going to read the title of it, Pink Power and Bathroom Signs Exploring Gender and Fairness. So even though these chapters are short, there's obviously lots of big ideas in all of the, in all the chapters. And so let's get into some things. Um, one huge topic um, with young kids, of course, is gender, both traditional notions and, and other notions. And then fairness in and of itself is something that um, kids can grasp that concept, even when it's talking about big world stuff. Mm -hmm. But they all, you know, sometimes we try to protect them, I think, from some topics we just don't feel are age appropriate. But sometimes kids will notice or bring it up themselves. And I think it really helps for us as the grown-ups to realize kids understand that's not fair. That's something they get even before they can speak. You know, his cookie is bigger than my cookie or mm -hmm. she has, you know, eight purple crayons and I only have the, the broken green one. So kids get that's not fair. The concept is, is, and they're very keen on issues of fairness. So tell us in your experience how kids um, really can, can take an idea like that's not fair and apply it to the real world. Yeah, I totally agree with what you just said. Um, I, it, and what I, what I wrote about in my, um, in my story was how I was observing something in my classroom, which was um, actually very representative of what I'd see year after year in my four-year-old classroom. And that being um, that the children would self-segregate by um, gender. So I'd see the boys playing with boys in particular areas of the classroom and with particular items and the girls spending the majority of their time with other girls in other parts of the classroom, um, different parts of the classroom than the boys, um, using, you know, engaged in different kinds, a different kind of play with different materials than the boys were using. Um, and I started, you know, so that, that was sort of like the quiet um, gender segregation that was going on in the classroom. But there was also a lot of very overt um, divisiveness. And so the kids started to make a lot of rules, which again is not uncommon to hear, right? In especially about the age of, you know, three and a half, four, um, when the children start to really categorize um, their world and fit everything into these sort of neat, uh, categories and sort everything. Um, they do this, I think, with gender too. Um, and, and at the same time, I think that they're just, you know, they're constantly making sense of things that they, that they see in their everyday and the information that they're taking in. And of course, um, the information that they take in from society is generally, um, pretty stereotypical, um, 
and biased message messaging. So anyway, the children started to make a lot of rules for the classroom based on gender. You know, who can play where? And if you, you know, if you're a girl, you can't come into this space. And um, and even though I know that this is very typical uh, behavior, um, gender is something that. I mean, I guess anytime that, that children start to make rules based on someone's identity, you know, that the my adult's um, brain, of course, uh, can sometimes get hooked and I'll feel, I'll get sort of a physiological response because my adult brain, you know, interprets this in a very different way than, of course, the, the children are thinking about it. But, um, but so that's something that I think over the years I started to, um, be able to keep in check a lot better um, through self-reflection. But my point in saying this is that um, as soon as I brought the, this, what I felt was a problem, as soon as I brought this problem to the children, um, they very quickly saw how unfair they were being um, without me imposing too much, you know, my own feelings or my uh, about what was happening. Um, for the most part, I shared with them the observations that that I was seeing of their play, um, kind of reflecting them back to them. And I also um, used some children's literature, which is often where I turn to um, to sort of initiate these conversations that feel a little daunting sometimes. Um, so I use the book The Sneetches which is one of my favorites. Um, and for those of you who don't know, um, there are star-bellied sneetches and plain-bellied sneetches. And um, the star-bellied sneetches hold a, you know, a superior place in society compared to the plain-bellied sneetches. And, um, and they make all kinds of unfair rules about um, where you can be, what you can eat, or, or where you can eat and who you can play with based on whether or not you have a star on your belly. So it's a great way to open up the conversation with children. And so that's what I did. And, and they took it up right away. The children who were being, some of the children who were um, being the most divisive in their play and the most rigid about the rules were the ones who flipped on a dime. And in those conversations, just, um, you know, real, were really uh, excited to talk about how this, this behavior actually wasn't fair. So let's unpack all that a little bit because there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on. One thing is The Sneetches, of course, is a great book. A lot of us know that book and love it. What I have found, um, partly myself as a kid, but partly watching other kids, often unless somebody opens up the conversation and gets the kids' to, brains to think, um, they will, like, I wanted, if I met a sneech, this was my point of view when I was young. If I met a sneech, I was going to be super nice to them, whether they had a star or not. Mm. But it never occurred to me until I was way older than, <laughs> I don't even want to admit, like last year. Yeah. It never occurred to me 
that this book was about something other than snitches. Mm. You know, it never occurred to me that I, this could be applied to people or, or other situations. So I think that's something we need to be aware of, that when we turn to literature, and as a children's author, I love it when kids turn to books. That's often, or adults turn to the books and introduce them to the kids. That's often something I love to go to. But I, we have to remember it's not enough because most, most young kids are literalists. Mm. And they take the story as the story and a snitch is a snitch. <laughs> so if you're, if you use it as a jumping off point, I mean, you can just read it cause it's a cool book, but if you're using it as a jumping off point, you might have to see how the conversations develop because it's not necessarily going to be automatic um, for kids. Right. An automatic connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, also I think, um, it's, I, if people are listening to this and seeing the same sort of thing happening in their families or in their classrooms, I mean, as you say, totally age appropriate. Um, I have a chapter in my book, It's Okay Not to Share, about, you know, no girls allowed signs are fine and all this. This is totally natural development just because people are excluding based on one identity, gender, doesn't mean that they're going to translate this to all the other kinds of identities and backgrounds that we bring bring uh, to the world. Um, so it's it's interesting too that how you approach this was by making observations. Mm. I see boys all playing by themselves. I see girls all playing by themselves. I see kids making rules about this and that and letting them go forward because I think if one of the things you mentioned was you know you got your adult view going which is what we do because we are adults. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be very hard to uh, step away from our adult brain and say, okay, is this actually hurting anybody? Is this natural? Is this normal? Is this fine? Um, because the kids, this is a very uh, completely natural things for kids to do. If we make an observation and let them go from there, but if you'd had a different group of kids, you might've had a totally different reaction they may not have run with it. So um, mm -hmm. tell us tell us a little bit more. I think, did you have another story in your chapter about what they were doing with fairness and the, uh, the bathroom signs? Yeah, well, so that's where it led. But, um, but where it started was just my noticing um, and my observations of a lot of divided, a lot of divided play, play groups. Um, and, and what we did is we sort of embarked on a series of, um, circle time meetings focused on, on what I was seeing. Um, and we really took time with the speeches too. I mean, we didn't do, we didn't do just one read through and that was it for the day and we wrapped it up. I mean, I think the first, the first time we sat down, we just read the first few pages and it opened up this and it opened up discussion. And like you say, um, if I had had another group of children, who knows if they would have connected it right away, but there was one child who immediately made a connection um, between the characters and what they were doing, the snitches, what they were doing, and what was happening in our classroom. And I, th and I think that was because, you know, I didn't pull this book out of nowhere and hope that they, they just got what I was, trying to get at, but I had been sort of, you know, out, I mean, I have been, I had been saying out loud, I had been noticing out loud while in the classroom with the children, 
um, been noticing, huh, there are, no, there are no girls in the Lego area right now, I'm noticing. Isn't that strange? I wonder why none of the girls are playing over here. Or, hmm, it's, it's, you know, it's just a group of girls who chose this activity. Where, where are all the boys? I wonder if any of the boys want to come over. So they, they had, had already been hearing me um, have these thoughts aloud. Um, and I think that that, that primed them. Um, but, but yeah, where this led was really so, um, I never could have predicted it. And it was so exciting. Um, so we had, you know, we had started to have a series of conversations about um, people being divided and how that makes some people feel left out and excluded. And, um, and we talked about that for, I don't know, a number of days. It was probably, I mean, it was probably over the course of a couple of weeks, you know. Um, and then one day, one of the children in my classroom came to school and her mom who is, uh, was a co-teacher or was another teacher at our school and is, still works there today, um, came into the classroom to drop her off and had something that she wanted to share with me. And that was that they had been out together the night before at a restaurant. Um, the, the mom's name is Nadia and the daughter's name is Leela. They'd been out together at a restaurant and Leela needed to use the bath bathroom. So Nadia took her to the bathroom. And when they um, got to the bathroom door, Leela paused and she looked up at the sign and stood there for a moment. And this is a sign that Leela's seen, you know, by the age of four, she's seen hundreds of times in her life, right? We all know that, that image. Um, and so she saw the, the female image with the triangle dress. And, um, and then she, you know, she took a look over at the um, men's bathroom and took note of how that, that male pictogram differed from the female one. Um, and the first thing that she spouted out to her mom was just like, hey, that's not fair. And um, Nadia, asked her what what's not fair and they launched they this launched into a conversation between the two of them and Nadia being the wonderful teacher that she is um, quickly jotted this down when they got home so that she could um, bring in a transcription of their conversation to um, to me at in the classroom the next morning but basically Leela said you know that picture's not fair because um, the the woman has a dress, but mom, you don't wear dresses. Um, so she had this, this sort of aha moment. I think her, her, I had put her brain into the mode of thinking about what's not fair. And, and like you said, I totally agree with you. Um, children are just sort of primed to, to, I mean, they just, they really get fairness um, what that means and, um, and how that looks. And they have all kinds of ways, ideas about how people should be, how to make the world a more fair place. Um, and so anyway, Nadia and Leela 
Leela decided that she wanted to talk to her friends at morning at morning circle time um, to to discuss the bathroom signs. And so that launched a, a project that was focused on bathroom signage. And that lasted, it's been a really long time now. This was back in 2015, actually. Um, but it, it was a project right. that, that we um, spent a few months on, for sure. So basically, this is a child-initiated um, project because the kid herself noticed something, decided it wasn't fair, brought it to her classmates, and got support from the teachers to sort of follow it where it will to see where this is going to go. And in your case, the school supported her ideas to get new signs put up in the school, right? That's right. Yep. We, so, we did. you know, whatever your topic, you don't have to be all excited about bathroom signs and who's wearing the triangular dress. Maybe the kids you're working with would not get excited about that. But whatever it is, if there's a way that you can use something as concrete as something they see every day, to show that, yeah, even four-year-olds speaking up can get something changed. That's pretty powerful. They'll probably remember that. Um, and who knows what issues they'll take up in the future. I mean, this may not have been something that, that you or the other teachers are going to come in and say, now we need to get the kids convinced that this is the problem, <laughs> you know, right. the school. But by following the kids' lead and not being scared by when they notice something that's unfair, if they're wanting to follow that direction, keep on following the direction. See where, see where it leads. It might fizzle. It's okay if things fizzle, if their interest goes off in another direction. But in this case, you actually got new signs in the school. We did, yeah. And um, yeah, you bring up so many good points. You know, gender gender has long been an interest of mine. So that was something I had to keep paying attention to and reflecting on and making sure that I wasn't pushing some sort of, you know, project that the kids really weren't into anymore. Um, so I kept, you know, kind of each time I would, we would revisit it, I had to check in with my co-teachers and pay attention to um, the kids, you know, level of, of interest in it so that I wasn't forcing something that they really weren't into anymore. Um, and, and it was so powerful. I think one of, like the biggest takeaway for me from this project um, was that the children came away so, so empowered. And, and I think, um, they felt that you know they had they had made a difference they had changed something um and i think that they saw that they are competent and capable of you know capable members of society um so i had i was talking to someone about this project at one point and he asked me you know at the end sort of toward the end of the project so you know what happened next what what did you do after you changed the signs at the school did you did you go elsewhere and did you go around the community and after we had gotten the signs changed changed at the school um the children's interest waned a bit but what did happen was they started taking um taking issue with other things that they saw as being unfair so, and I don't think that this was included in um, this version of the story, but one child named Ryan started um, really voicing his concern about all the litter that we would notice on while we were out on field trips. Um, and so we 
you know, this came up time and time again for him especially. And, but he, he started to pull others into, into this conversation about the litter around San Francisco. And so we, we, um, you know, we didn't spend months or anything, but we did spend, um, a few days making signs and getting some latex, small latex gloves and doing a neighborhood cleanup. Um, but I think that that was, you know, that was the power of this project. It wasn't gender specifically, um, but that the children just really saw that they, um, that they have important things to say and, and they have ideas about how to make the world a, a better place. Um, yeah, so one of the things too is that um, th whatever the topic, as you say, it could be litter. <laughs> it's not a specific gender topic, but the, right. the kids have uh, adults who will really listen to them, I think mm -hmm. is important in our interactions every day. Uh, listen and respect what their feelings or observations are. And, you know, if they need some help in, in a direction, then help them, whether that's dealing with angry feelings about something they actually can't change or whether it's dealing with something you can change, like let's go get some bags and pick up some trash. So, and the, the other part is to um, give them that, not be scared of their, their feelings when it's, that's not fair, but help them channel it if they want to. Um, but always taking that child lead and taking a respectful listening position. I think those are, there's a key to whatever kind of interaction we have with kids, including, you know, developing little social justice <laughs> humans in our midst. So mm. Jeff, you've been quiet. Do you have anything you want to add here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, why not just let them play? I mean, if, if the play at the beginning, if they were, if they were truly choosing their play and there were some kids in the lego area and some kids in other areas why not just let that be if that if they're all where they want to be why mess with it mm -hmm. yeah so i thought about that a lot too because i i felt sort of conflicted um about my role um you know i think of myself as sort of this you know progressive teacher who really values kids choice and um, and they should have, uh, you know, they, they should be able to make their own decisions about who they play with and where they play with. And I really felt this conflict between, um, between that progressive teacher stance and then my, my, you know, inner feminist and, um, and social activist. Um, and as I was doing research, um, because I had, before this, before this happened in my classroom, I had um, been studying gender for my uh, master's thesis. And so I had been doing a lot of research around the topic. Um, and something that I came away with from, from researching young children and their concepts of gender was that free, Free play really isn't free because it's really governed by a lot of constructs that children have already um, internalized and absorbed from, from society. So even though we, we, you know, we call it free play, 
Um, I think a lot of times little girls don't feel free to play in certain areas that they might be interested in um, because it's um, untraditional and same with boys. And um, if you spend enough time in the classroom with four-year-olds, you, you see them keeping each other in line and really, um, and really uh, sort of, you know, sending each other messages that if you're a boy, that this is this is. So what I would call be. I would call that Jamie um, self policing, where they they've absorbed the gender roles and they are, um, you know, it's not coming from the adults around them directly. It's coming from kid to kid. There's something that I like to do um, that lets them keep playing in the Legos if that's where they want to be. Is just to make uh, give a, a informational statement and say, well, I know both girls and boys can play with Legos, but not not force it on them. Mm -hmm. um, so it's some, sometimes the kids themselves at this age group, it's very natural in their development to be very black and white about this and very strict about the gender lines. So I don't see that as a problem. I, mm -hmm. you know, there could be a kid who's very rigidly enforcing things who in a few years will be the opposite. It's not, we can't make them into little progressive adults when they're four. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, I think we do have to balance who we are as adults with all this. But it is Jeff's comment. Um, yeah, I think the way I would handle this would be to invite kids interested to do whatever it is. But I don't I don't see it as being a whole classroom activity, um, you know, project, whatever you want to call that. Mm -hmm. Oh, if so and so is interested in picking up litter. I would go out and help him or whoever it was, you know, pick up the litter and more kids would probably naturally get interested and mm -hmm. it builds that child momentum. That becomes the play, mm -hmm. just like the bathroom sign becomes the play, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't necessarily be everybody's doing that. Somebody's over there, probably more than one somebody still playing with Legos while other kids are exploring this other form of interacting with the world. So it, it's going to vary by the, the teacher culture, but I wouldn't, I would, you know, I, I'm on the side of less circle time, more play time. But I think that all the topics that you're bringing up about whether gender and uh, constructs are free play, you know, some of it's some of it's stuff that, um, yeah, it's totally out there. And others, they're going to have to grow a little bit more before it, it's relevant to their little lives. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a mix, I think, of mm -hmm. um, what we should be doing with their time and what ideas we can throw out there as observational statements, as informational statements, as support to whatever ideas and feelings they have as they continue to explore the world. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. Um, we're probably wrapping up our episode. Is there anything you'd like to say, um, Jamie, Jeff, anybody? I, I hope that that the the guy that wanted to pick up the trash. I hope he ends up being mayor of uh, of uh, San Francisco because that that'd be great. I like that kid. I like a kid that likes to pick up garbage. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm 100 on board with that. <laughs> um, I have a a sweet story. Um, shortly, uh, maybe like six months after this project, one of the children that I had in my, in my classroom graduated and you know went on to kindergarten and I got a letter from his dad saying that um, 
he had written the mayor of San Francisco <laughs> asking if all the crosswalks could be rainbow colored, like the one in the Castro. Because <laughs> he was always, he just loved rainbows. Um, and so I thought that that was just a really cool connection and, and takeaway for him that he thought, oh, this is something that I'd like to see change. And so he... Yeah. He wrote to the mayor. So someday <laughs> when, the, when the boy who liked to pick up the litter does become the mayor of San Francisco, Jeff, then, you know, maybe he'll get a letter like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and honor it. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your, your views and, and the stories of, of um, San Francisco in 2015. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Jamie, is there any place you want us to send people if they want more of you in their lives, if, if social media or any of that kind of stuff, website or anything? Or I, we, just want, we want to make sure people get to plug stuff if they want to when they're on the show. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. So um, you could follow me on, I mean, not so much me, but my school. Um, mm -hmm. And I do most of the posting for it on Instagram. And it's um, at School Creativa. And let me spell that because that's Italian. <laughs> <laughs> it's S-C-U-O-L-A-C-R-E-A. T-I-V-A. So, Scuola Creativa. Excellent. If you email me the link, I will put that in the show notes, too, so people can have it right there in the episode notes. Great. Thank you so much. Any final so nice thoughts, to... Heather? No, I just, um, it's good to mix up all our ideas and get us to rethink ideas once in a while. So, thank you for being on the show. Glad to have you. Hey, Thanks this so has been much. Renegade Rules. We will be back in a week with another episode. Thanks to Heather. Thanks to Jamie. Thanks for everybody out there listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And there we go. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.